The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. to have with us the Reverend Eric Swanson. Eric is the pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in York, a brother in our presbytery, the Susquehanna Valley Presbytery, and in his years in our midst, not many years, he's a young man, but he's come to be highly regarded and often gives us good insights at presbytery. So I've heard him preach before, and you're in for a blessing from the Lord. So thank you, Eric, for being with us. Well, good evening. It is an honor to be here. It's always an honor to open up the Word of God and look at it together. And I bring greetings from across the Susquehanna Ocean. And as, as we come to look at the Word of God together, we're going to be looking at Exodus 18. Uh, as a congregation over in York County, we've been going through Exodus ever since Advent. And we'll be in the book of Exodus until almost Labor Day. So you're getting kind of things in the middle of the story. And if you haven't looked at Exodus for a while, you may remember it's the story of the people of Israel coming up out of Egypt and coming to Mount Sinai to serve God there. As they come up out of Egypt, God famously calls Moses at the burning bush. And as Moses is struggling with that call, God gives him a promise in Exodus 3 verse 12 where God tells Moses that the sign that he is with Moses is that Moses will worship God at that mountain with all of God's people. He says, you will serve me here, and it's in the plural. And we get to Exodus 18, verse 5. It tells us that they're at the mountain. They've arrived. So what now? Let's look together at the word of God. Exodus 18, 1 through 12. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And and when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare. And went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way. And how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. In that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh 
and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us look to him in prayer. O Lord, our God, we do thank you for your word. And we pray that you be with us now, that we might pay attention and hear what you have said. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have any of you ever been through a season of life where it felt like there were so many changes you couldn't possibly begin to process it? Maybe some of you have been through those seasons, but you're not in those now, and you're relieved to not be in that time of rapid change now. Maybe others of you are right in the middle of things where it feels like there's wave after wave of change. You know, there's a reason for that saying, when it rains, it pours. Do you know what that's like? To go through that change so quickly, so much, so fast, that you feel overwhelmed. You feel like you haven't stopped to pause, to consider, to realize what's been going on in your life. Sometimes we can go through the motions or be so busy Sometimes we can be so overwhelmed that we don't stop to ponder the work that God has done. Here in Exodus, Exodus is the story of coming out of slavery in Egypt and coming to Mount Sinai to serve God. After God calls Moses at the burning bush and God brings Moses back from uh, the land of Midian to, uh, to Egypt to bring the people of Israel out, the narrative picks up pace and it's action-packed. Action after action after action. Moses comes in God's name and says to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says no, oppresses them worse. God, Moses cries out to God. God says, now you're gonna see me deliver. I'm gonna bring blow upon blow upon blow on Egypt. The 10 plagues fall, one after another after another. Then there's the Lord's Passover where God strikes down the firstborn and all those that are covered by the blood of the lamb are delivered. God brings this great multitude up out of Egypt. They're excited. God leads them into a desert. God leads them back the way that they came. The Egyptians think that they're hemmed in and pursue them down to the Red Sea. The Israelites are afraid and God frees them at the Red Sea. They celebrate on the far side of the Red Sea. And then within days, they start grumbling against God, saying, we're thirsty. And God provides water miraculously. Then they grumble again, we're hungry. Where are we going to get bread? God miraculously provides manna. Then again, we're thirsty. God miraculously provides. Then enemies, the Amalekites, start attacking them from behind. This has been nonstop change. And then we come to chapter 18. Many commentators point out that chapter 18 acts like a hinge in the book. On one hand, it reflects back on the first 17 chapters. On the other hand, with the part that we're not going to look at, verses 13 to the end, it's looking forward to what's going to come as God organizes his people into a nation with system and structure under his good laws. 
But what I want us to look at this morning is this look back on what has happened. This look back on what God has done in chapters 1 through 17. One quick note, if there are any here who are here this morning that wrestle with how can I know I can believe the word of God, I want to point out something incredibly significant in this passage. Jethro is a Midianite. The Midianites, except for here, earlier in Israel's history and later in Israel's history, are always portrayed as oppressors and enemies of Israel. There are some scholars, critical scholars, who argue that the Pentateuch was somehow written in about 600 BC. It would be absolutely absurd to insert this passage unless this passage was incredibly early and absolutely true. This relationship between Moses and Jethro speaks to the truth of the historic reality that this was experienced by Moses, written by Moses, likely in the 1400s. So for any that wrestle with that question of the authority of the scriptures, the Bible has embedded in it all the proofs of its own authority. That's not our main point, but it was important to to remind us of the trustworthiness of the word of God. Now, let's look back. Let's look back on these chapters. And what do we see as we look back? We see two things. First of all, we see that, this, uh, that, that looking back, uh, what the theme that we're going to see is it's all about the goodness of the Lord. Verse 9, Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done for, for Israel. And so as we look back, we're going to notice two things. First of all, we're going to see that Moses is, shares the Lord's goodness. And secondly, we're going to see this embrace of God's goodness. So first of all, sharing the Lord's goodness. Look with me in uh, verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. How did he hear? The text makes clear that Moses, who had started to Egypt back in chapter 4 with his wife and children, at some point had sent them back to his father-in-law. We don't know why, presumably for safekeeping. Maybe he was concerned that Pharaoh would harm his family. We don't know when they got there. But his wife and his two sons are with his father-in-law. And Jethro hears of what God has done in bringing Israel out of Egypt. Well, if you lived in this period of time, the fact that a group, a, a group of slaves had escaped from the most powerful nation on earth and not only had escaped, but that most powerful nation was in ruins because of the devastation that had come on it and that the way that that devastation had come about was so clear that this was not just natural circumstances, that this was a work of God. You better believe that this was front page news. This probably went everywhere. This was, I mean, why would you gossip about the weather, what your neighbor was doing, when there was a God who had called his people out of the land of Egypt, away from the most powerful nation, and the process had judged those gods of that nation, showing that they were not gods and that he alone was God. This was great news. Not only that, he had parted the seas and his people had literally walked through on dry ground. And the Pharaoh himself had seen it and had to turn his tail and go back to Egypt, being utterly humiliated and defeated by this God whom he had opposed. You bet this is front page news. This this news of God's goodness to the people of Israel has spread among the nations. 
And so Jethro comes and Moses greets him with respect and dignity and honor. Moses is reunited to his family. And Moses begins to tell Jethro of God's goodness. Look with me in verse 8. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. He tells Jethro, look at all these things. Some of these things are really difficult. We're without food. We're without water. And God provided miraculously again and again. We were hemmed in with a sea on one side and this army on the other. And God delivered us. He's sharing God's goodness, celebrating what God has done, making it known to his father-in-law. Now I do want to give one more, more academic aside. There are some scholars that argue that the idea of monotheism actually came from Jethro. This is called the Kenite hypothesis. Now the great irony of this argument, they somehow argue it comes from chapter 18. But what's so clear in chapter 18 is the text tells us that Moses tells Jethro everything that God has done. Moses is the one doing the instruction. Moses is the one doing the recounting. Jethro is the one listening. To reverse the roles is to leave the world of fact in history and enter the world of myth where you can make the text mean anything you want. But if we're interested in listening to the Hebrew text, that is one of the most ancient texts that this world knows, then what we see is we see that Moses is the one that shares God's goodness. How about you? Do you share God's goodness with those around you? Do you stop to recount the praises of the Lord? When I was growing up in South Jersey, one of my favorite summer things is I'd actually come out to Pennsylvania, not far from here, uh, French Creek State Park, maybe about 45 minutes away, up near Morgantown, and there was a uh, Orthodox Presbyterian church had a summer camp there called French Creek Bible Conference. My siblings and I would all go different weeks, and one of the favorite, aside from going to camp, our next favorite thing was to come home and regale each other for hours with all the amazing and exciting and fun things that would happen at that camp. When one of us would come come home, the rest of the family would gather and listen to stories for hours. We loved to talk about what a wonderful experience we had there. How about you? Do you love to tell the story? Do you love to share God's goodness? To consider God's goodness to you and what he, how he has walked with you again and again and again? You see, what Moses is telling his father-in-law here is the goodness that God has brought his people up out of slavery. He's delivered them from the house of bondage. In the light of the New Testament, in the light of the fullness and the completeness of what we know to be true, what we know is that Jesus Christ, our Lord, has delivered us not just from an external, oppressive, physical government, but that he has freed us through his cross and resurrection from sin and the power of death. That sin has no hold on God's people. That if we trust in Christ, Jesus says, you are free. If we trust in Christ, Jesus says, you are a son. You are a daughter of God. That's who you are. If we trust in Christ, then even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we need to fear no evil. For God is with his people.
He never leaves or forsakes them. So we can share God's goodness, whether we are in times of delight, whether we're in times of difficulty, we can share the goodness of God that we have experienced in Christ. Some of you are delighted to hear this reminder. You know that God is good. You know that it's easy to get distracted by the things of this world. You need to hear that reminder to publicly and openly share God's goodness. Others of you are right in the middle of a hardship and it feels like you're driving blind in the fog. Have any of you ever done that before? My parents live right outside Chattanooga, Tennessee. And to take 75 south through Virginia, past Knoxville, uh, 81 south through Virginia, past Knoxville, pick up 75, go from Knoxville down to Chattanooga. There's this one stretch about 20, 30 miles between Knoxville and Chattanooga that they, is a fog advisory area. There was one time when I drove through there and all the times I've driven it, one time when I hit fog. And it was so scary. It was like all of a sudden driving into a wall. I could not see a thing. Uh, there could have been a car... 30 feet in front of me and I couldn't have seen it. There could have been a car 30 feet behind me and I wouldn't have known. Sometimes that's how hardships feel. It feels like you're in a fog. This passage here reminds us that God delivers his people out of all the hardships they face. Look with me again in verse 8. He tells them about the deliverance from Egypt, all the hardships that come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them all. Because Jesus died on the cross, because Jesus is risen from the grave, we can say with the Apostle Paul that neither death nor life, nor powers nor things present, nor height nor depth, nor anything in all creation can separate us from God's love. Those of you that have been through the fog know what it is like to try and encourage those that are in the middle of it. But every single person who knows Christ whether you're in the fog or whether you're in a time of blessing and joy, every single one of us has the goodness of God to share. Share the Lord's goodness. Secondly, what else do we see here? We see that we're called to embrace the Lord's goodness. We see this not through Moses, but through Jethro. We see how he embraces God's goodness. Look at, look at the joy and the blessing and praise in verses 9 and 10. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. What did this joy look like? Verse 10 tells us. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. There's this blessing and praise to God. He's embracing God's goodness and what God has done. This embrace is volitional. It's emotional. He's excited. It spills forth in praise. And it is also cognitive. Look with me in verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. How do we know that the God of the Bible is the true God, is the one and only God, is the God that has redeemed the deliverance out of Egypt? And even more so, Christ's resurrection from the grave established that as sure knowledge that God has acted in human history. He delivered his people from the Egyptians. He raised his son from the dead and displayed his son before over 500 witnesses who spoke with him, who talked with him, who ate with him. And they went out and told the world. 
so that we can join with Jethro in saying, now I know who the true and living God is and now I see that this God is a God of love who has sent his son to save the world. Embrace the Lord's goodness. And lest any of you are tempted to say, ah, but this is Moses' father-in-law. Of course he's going to respond that way. Let me ask you, how many of you have family that you long to see them respond this way? People don't respond this way because of family connections. People respond this way when God in his grace stirs their hearts and they recognize God and they embrace him from the heart. Jethro is embracing the goodness of God and we see this in verse 12, the capstone verse of this embrace. Jethro brings offerings before God. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Now, it astounds me that some commentators read this passage and go, is Jethro converted or not? I'm not sure. He worships God, brings an offering, eats bread in the presence of God, and God accepts it. Remember what happens to Aaron, whose very own sons here offer unauthorized fire before God. God accepts this worship and praise. This one who was once the priest of Midian, Exodus 18 verse 1, is now the worshiper of God. Embrace the Lord's goodness. We need this reminder because sometimes we are tempted to to know cognitively the truth of the Bible. We know what Christ did on the cross, but we haven't embraced it with our whole heart. Have you embraced the goodness and the beauty of what God has done for you? I heard recently a a beautiful story of someone who embraced goodness and beauty. The Handel and Haydn Society in Boston was just coming to the end of this beautiful piece. It was a packed uh, symphony hall, Sunday performance. The symphony goers were there in the best. They're, They're dressed in their best. Everyone was following the cultural rules of listening. As the, as the piece came to an end, the CEO writes that it's a quiet contemplative piece that ends with the swell of a major chord and fades into silence. And it's a breath holding moment before the rapturous and thunderous applause breaks out. And there, in the silence, from the back of the room, a child's voice, a child who doesn't know the, the cultural norms, breaks out with this, wow. He's un- unexpectedly, and the crowd laughs and claps for him, claps for the audience. The CEO writes that he, he was amazed by it, but he said it was one of the most wonderful moments he'd ever experienced in the concert hall. This young child who didn't know or care about the customs of how uh, classical music unfolds had expressed what everyone was feeling. Wow! People of God, you belong to God himself. You have been showered upon with God's blessings. He has called you into his family. He assures you of that by sending his son to suffer and die, to name you as his own. Jesus rose from the grave so that we would know that he is victorious, that nothing can separate him from uh, us from him. What a glorious God. Embrace God's goodness. 
We ought to be people who say, wow, look at what God has done. Whether we are at home, whether we are in the shower, whether we're in the car, whether we're with our coworkers, yes, even in a Presbyterian church, we ought to say, wow, to the glory of God. If you are moved by God's goodness, praise him. Think about how King David danced in the presence of God. Embrace the goodness of God. Where do you need to hear this reminder? Where do you need to hear the reminder of God's goodness to us that we can sing forth his praise, that we can praise his name for what he has done for us and for our salvation? In conclusion, I I love to go hiking. I love the experience. I love everything about it. But one of the things I've noticed about hiking is the whole thing is not entirely fun. You spend a whole lot of time with a pack on your back watching your feet so you don't stumble and fall. Watching your feet, watching for the rocks, the roots, the twists and turns in the path. And what you have to do occasionally is drop the pack, stand up and stretch, look around, and look at the ground you've covered. After several hours of hiking, there's nothing like setting your pack down, turning, looking at the vista that's spread out before you, taking in the grandeur and the beauty of God's world. Taking in the grandeur and beauty of the trees, the rolling hills, the birds, the plants, the clouds. How much more so is it fitting and appropriate for us to pause and to recognize God's goodness? to recognize God's goodness here that was exploding throughout the world as the the, rumor of what God had done has spread, for us to share that goodness to those around us, for us to share that there is a God and he is good and has showered his love on us through Jesus Christ, to make that God known. How much more so should we be a people that embrace that goodness from the heart, that it's not merely something that's cognitive, that it's not merely something that's intellectual, where we see God's love for us, and like Jethro, we respond with full-person, full-bodied worship of this God. People of God, let us be a people who constantly, like this young child, are saying, wow, look at this God that we have. Look at what this God has done. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let us look to him in prayer. Oh Lord, our God, we do give you thanks and praise that you have saved us. We give you thanks and praise for your deliverance of your people from Egypt. We give you thanks and praise for delivering us at the cross and in the resurrection. Lord, we pray that you would stir up our hearts, that our hearts might be filled with your praises, that our voices might praise you, every day this week. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.